a man that doesn't take care of his family can't be rich. And when I say the word man, I'm not referring to a specific gender. And when I say the word rich, I'm referring to all the values that make life meaningful beyond money. On today's episode, we are going to talk about money. We are going to talk about family. And I'm really excited to share the story of my own brother and how he became a software engineer through a coding bootcamp. If you want to be like David, make sure you go to breakingintostartups.com slash webinar. And when you are thinking about the skill that you want to acquire and why you want to break into tech, yes, money is a factor. Yes, the compensation is high for most of these roles. Uh, yes, um, there's a lot of job openings for them. But think deeper about what you want to do long term. And as you are acquiring these skills and as you're working in these jobs, thinking about the people that hold it down for you because family and community does not always come directly from your bloodline. It comes through people that you are working with together for long periods of time. Um, it comes through people that you play basketball with. It comes through college. It might come through a career karma peer circle if you book time on my calendar to get a sense on how to get surrounded by these peers, mentors, and coaches. So as you're going through these, this thing called life, uh, make sure that you pay attention to the people that hold it down for you through thick and thin and without further ado let's break in growing up we're told that in order to be successful you need to be a banker a doctor or a lawyer that's what the gatekeepers want you to think but we're part of something bigger we're part of a technological revolution either you're at the table or on the table get in the end 10x yo 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 this is ruben harris i'm here with the homies archer and timo meister and this is the breaking stars podcast Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yes. So it's a Sunday night and it's about 8 p.m. and we're sitting here with a very special guest. As many of you know, like Artur is one of our co-founders, but he's also my brother. Him and I lived together when we were in college, high school, even right now. And the guest we have on the podcast tonight is someone who is very special to Ruben. And it's been definitely a pleasure to see how Ruben is living with his brother because we talk about family a lot. We say never forget about family. So I think this is going to be a very special episode. And Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, and no, I tried to tell everybody that David was up next. And some of you believe me, some of you didn't. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce you all to David Harris, the artist, the writer, the teacher who just landed his software engineering offer at Omada Health. I know I've been hard on him. He's worked really hard and we're going to go into all of that soon. But let's start off by saying welcome, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Ruben and Arthur and Timor. Really hey, excited to yeah, be here. Yeah, welcome, man. Yeah, no, it's been a long journey. So why don't you tell the people what just happened with respect to, you know, getting your offer? Just in general? I mean, yeah, where are you working now? I mean, you, I mean, you work really hard. We're going to unpack how you got the job, but where are you working now? I know you, you haven't started officially, but you just got the offer. Yeah, so as I believe Timur mentioned, we're, I'm going to be starting at Omada Health, a healthcare startup in San Francisco. Basically, they're devoted to stopping people who are at risk of chronic illnesses like diabetes, and they do that by giving users a tablet that measures data on them. And based on that data, you get paired with health coaches and people who give you they give you diets and exercises to improve your well-being to eliminate that risk of being 
at risk of that disease. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we, we really believe in taking care of our health over here. And so for the people that don't know, why does someone go from being, you know, a writer, artist or mathematician or into becoming a, a software engineer? Why did you decide to do that? Yeah. Well, for me personally, I feel like a lot of those things in common, maybe not writing as much, have to do with problem solving. Now, from a young age, I've always really enjoyed problem solving in some form. With music, it could be analyzing rhythms and different things, reading sheet music and trying to figure out these intricate patterns to create just life. With math, it's problem solving in its core. I believe everything you do in some respect has to do with math. Mm-hmm. Calculating finances, just shopping, the table we're looking at is made using math, things like that. So. I always knew that I wanted to do something with problem solving. And I felt that software engineering was a really good transition from yeah. math. Can you kind of, so we know that you just got a, got the software and over the last year, a little bit more than a year, you've been going into software engineering, but why did you even start out being interested in math? Mm. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I, as I mentioned, I did a lot of music and my mom really enjoyed giving us math outside of class to make us excel Mm -hmm. as much as we could. And so as I kept having this additional work that I needed to do, I really started to enjoy it. And so, I don't know, just thought of going through something so complicated to then find a result was really exciting. And so I think that's what really just piqued my interest in math. And so as I went through high school and things like that, and math started getting more complicated, I began thinking about what I could do with it as a career. So I decided that majoring in math in college would be a good common ground. Got it. Got it. And I know that, um, you know, growing up, you know, what I think it's important to unpack the instruments that you played, that you have this natural ability for perfect pitch and how you got into music theory because you were composing a lot of songs growing up and then how you, you know, leverage, you know, like understanding that with your love of gaming that got you into like programming kind of stuff like that. So unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So as Ruben mentioned, I have this ability that's called perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. It basically is an ability that allows you to, I can hear any note and tell you exactly what mm-hmm. it is, basically. Is it something that you're born with or something that people could like develop? That's a very interesting question. In my opinion, I think anyone can develop it. Some people disagree with me. There's something that's called relative pitch that I think anyone can develop, which means you can start out with one note and you can learn that by hitting a tuning fork mm-hmm. that just plays an A. And then if you want to hear any, develop any note from it, you kind of just start there and then go up and down to figure out what other note it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. And so growing up, you were, you were composing. Right. So like, I know, like I took a lot of oral theory classes. I never got close to as good as you did. I also played a lot of video games growing up and we used to study a lot of the music. But what got you into like programming and gaming while you were in school? Yeah. So I grew up playing video games basically my whole life. My brother and I did played a lot of stuff, Nintendo 64 and things like that. And just like with math and music and gaming, they all involve solving puzzles in some way. And so as I had actually at one point thought about making video games for a career, but mm-hmm. I never really knew how that worked. Mm-hmm. Like how you, you go make, about doing yeah, it. Yeah. Like I never actually heard of programming at all mm-hmm. until I got to college. And so I just kept going through studying math. And then when I, I think the thing that really got me into programming is once I started college and started taking my math classes, I heard of people who 
were computer science majors. And then they exposed me to this whole new field. That's kind of how I got mm-hmm. started. But yeah. I, I remember like you actually didn't want to become an engineer. Mm. And I kept telling you that I was out here and I was like, you should probably consider doing it. But why didn't you want to do it at the time? Yeah. So as Ruben mentioned, I actually really hated programming when I first started learning what it was. In school? Or? In school, yeah. yeah. The reason why was because it was multiple factors. One was the first programming language I learned or started learning was C++, which is very low level. And for a newbie kind of just trying to get their feet wet, I feel like that's a pretty tough language to get started. In addition to that, I was taking this fundamentals of programming class in C++. It was at 8 a.m. The teacher was super boring. Yeah. He wasn't very helpful. And the labs were really challenging. We had to come up with some project every week. And if you couldn't fully finish it, yeah. you get a zero. Like not even if you were almost done with it. Yeah. So it kind of just turned me off when I first yeah. started. So the kind of the traditional educational approach, the first time you try it, you were just like, this is uh, not what I like. This is not what I like or enjoy doing. The instructor wasn't engaging. And so you kind of passed the first time around. So did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated? I think you like took a gap year. Or what, how, how did you, what did you end up doing? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I figured that since I didn't know quite what I wanted to do with math, I figured that majoring in that field would be a good middle ground to branch into other careers. Obviously, when a lot of people major in math, teaching is kind of what they're expected to do. Uh And so rather than going through all four years of college and seeing if I like teaching after that, I decided to take a gap year and do some mission work in Honduras for 11 months because I, I went to Honduras specifically because I wanted to practice teaching and also improve my Spanish. Yeah. Was yeah. that your first time outside the country or in Honduras? Like, what was that experience like? So Honduras was the third country I had been to. Mm-hmm. First, it was Ecuador and Argentina. So what was the follow-up question? The question, question? is, um, like, what was that experience like coming to a foreign country yeah. uh, for the first time and being there for 11 months? Yeah. So I guess in terms of the language, it wasn't as scary because my brother and I grew up speaking Spanish mm-hmm. our whole lives. Mm-hmm. That's why my name is David and not David. And so that aspect of it didn't really feel that weird. It was kind of like going to Spanish church every week because that's what we did, except it was every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah. so that part wasn't so bad, but there were definitely a lot of things that were really weird. For example, there were military police walking all over the place. If I wanted to go inside any building, usually there was like a guard who would open the door Mm -hmm. with like a shotgun, just brandish right in front of him. In terms of like the educational system, it was really different. They go up to 11th grade instead of 12th grade there. Mm -hmm. They have like this kind of system of still staying in school, even if you fail your classes, you can like take this other test that's called recuperation. So if you fail out of a class and you pass that, you still have a chance of going to the next grade which can have its pros and cons. It's a little more stressful for the teacher because they have to keep creating additional material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and I think something that was unique while you were there is that, that you were writing, you wrote every single day, like five, six pages of what was going on. Why were you doing that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great thing I forgot to mention. Every time before I went to Honduras, whenever I would go to a new country, I would write about my experience. It was really exciting because I could have like the memories of what I did there even after Mm -hmm. I leave the country. 
when I went to Honduras, specifically since I knew I was going to be there for 11 months, I wanted to try to challenge myself to see if I could actually write about my experience every mm-hmm. day for 319 days. And before I went to Honduras, I would just write in a journal, mm-hmm. but I wanted people to know what I was doing. And yeah. that's when I really started getting into blogging and writing. And so I created a blog where people could read about my experience every day. Nice. Got so it. your parents, your brother, everyone was following you, your journey. So you took this gap year, you come, you're about to get ready to graduate in your last year. You still don't know what you want to do. What happened after that? Yeah. So when I got back, junior year was kind of catch up year because I hadn't done math in like a year or <laughs> really hard math yeah. in a year. So that in itself was kind of a struggle. And as time was going on, in addition with these really hard math classes, I started feeling like while it was cool to solve problems, they weren't really accomplishing anything. You know, I was just doing these exercises and that was it. Yeah. And I knew that like I could do teaching as a career, but I didn't feel like it would give me a sense of purpose for what I wanted to do with my life. Yep. So when I got closer to senior year, my same friends who were computer science majors said, hey, you know, you should try taking one more class. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, what's the easiest programming class I can find? Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, the one that came up when I searched that in my school's directory was intro to web development. Mm-hmm. And this one was just in HTML, CSS. So just mm-hmm. simple static web pages. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And uh, so around this time, this is when we launched the podcast. And mm-hmm. this is when your brother moved out to Silicon Valley. Were you like, did that help you understand the whole tech world? Or at that point, you still didn't really see yourself as also doing something similar, like moving out to the West Coast and breaking in? Hmm. Yeah. So to be honest, well, listening. When I was starting to take this class, this is basically when you guys started breaking into mm-hmm. startups. So things were really new and fresh for me, mm-hmm. but I never saw myself living in California. I really clung to being in Atlanta and things like that. And I thought I would just stay there and work there forever. But as I kept talking to my brother on the phone and, and I was telling him about this class and how excited I was learning about these new types of things, mm-hmm. he kept telling me, you know, move out to the Bay, move out to the Bay. And then mm-hmm. I started listening to different episodes of people doing things like Rodney from Slack or um, Yusuf from Omada Health. And that started inspiring me, hearing people moving across the country to go to this place. And in my mind, I said, well, if all these people are moving to San Francisco, mm-hmm. there must be something special. So about it got it. you kind of excited about this possibility. So but, it but even up then, your mind. Even then, you still didn't want to go. Because like you, you graduated and I essentially was like, all right, look, I'm going to give you this $500 like voucher for a flight right. for you to come for your birthday. And then I bought you a treehouse subscription right. to do over the summer. Well, actually, you bought that treehouse subscription for me during Christmas. Oh, and yeah, that's, that's, right. that's really what kind of started driving me to take it more mm-hmm. seriously. Because yeah. mm-hmm. before I was kind of doing it for fun. And then my brother gave me this for Christmas. He's like, I gave you this. I'm paying for the subscription once a month take it seriously. Yeah. And so I told myself, fine, I'll try it for one month. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we had the CEO of Treehouse on the podcast. And when I was breaking into startups, I used Treehouse to learn how to code. Can you compare taking a class from Treehouse to taking a class from a traditional college? I could tell you that I learned more in probably one week of Treehouse than I ever did in college. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in all yeah. the subjects or just uh, computer science? 
Um, all the subjects. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I felt like in college, you were just kind of a number. And if you don't do well, then who cares, basically? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so what classes did you take on Treehouse that kind of got you excited about coding? Yeah. So before I started Treehouse, I was taking that HTML and CSS class. And so when I got excited about seeing just simple H1 tags or paragraph tags rendering stuff to the screen, I knew that I wanted to do more. And since HTML and CSS was all I knew, that's what I started with on Treehouse. Mm -hmm. Just let me learn more about this. I had no idea what JavaScript or Ruby or any of that was. Yeah, Got it. And so were you kind of like learning on your own or how much time were you putting into this? And like, what was your schedule like? Did you feel lonely? Yeah. So when I was in school, I was doing Treehouse because you got it for me for Christmas. I did that HTML class my second semester. So I would probably do maybe four or five hours of Treehouse a week since I was still in school, like maybe Mm -hmm. one hour every day, something like that. Once I graduated in May of last year and decided to kind of go more full force into this, I was spending about eight hours a day at least learning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, like, then what were you thinking? You still were kind of on the fence, like, if you're going to move to San Francisco, when you were ready, you were exploring, like, different things that you were listening to, like, why did you choose the route that you chose? Or how did you choose that route? Yeah. So when I started learning the eight hours a day, I was also doing a little bit of work. I was doing tutoring just to kind of see if I would still want to lean back towards that side. As time went on from maybe May to June, I was liking programming more. Mm -hmm. And then around this time, as I was doing research and listening to Breaking Into Startups, I learned that you guys went to, uh, Arthur and Timor went to App Academy and Hack Reactor. And whenever I would look up App Academy and Hack Reactor, these were supposedly the best programs in the country to learn to code. And so when I heard of an opportunity where I could be job ready in three months, that was too good not to pass up. Yeah. So a lot of the time for our listeners, having that roadmap or picturing that roadmap of them taking tutorials to a job is a critical point. When did you realize that this roadmap was actually like a viable way for you to get a job? I think when I started listening to other people who had gotten jobs like two weeks after they graduated, I figured that this program must be doing something right. And seeing how you two were examples of people who did it, I figured this was a viable option. And so I just decided that I would learn as much as I could. And when I felt ready, I would apply. Got it. And so, you know, there's a bunch of boot camps that are out there. There's a lot of alternative forms of education. These two did two different ones. How did you go about preparing for those, that application process? I know, I think Timor and Arthur both quit a few times before they got in because they're not easy to get in. So how did you learn the basics? Yeah. So when I, going back to Treehouse, when I was learning HTML and CSS, I started learning, okay, HTML is kind of like just the static rendering of stuff, kind of like writing in Microsoft Word. CSS is kind of like looking, making things look nice at like PowerPoint or something. And then I kept hearing that JavaScript was for like interactivity. And so when I would do more research, I saw that JavaScript was like the one language that basically almost every company uses in some way. And so at first I was applied, I was preparing to apply to Hack Reactor because they only code in JavaScript. And so I figured if I could be really good at JavaScript, maybe I could just go into anything. So I started with Hack Reactor. And then for Hack Program? Yeah. Yeah. So Hack Reactor has this program that's called SSP. It stands for Structured Study Structured Program. 
Structured study program. Oh, sorry. Structured study program. And basically, there's two forms of it. One is where you can just kind of learn online with other people who are going through the program and you have kind of like teachers and mentors to help you get ready. And from what I've heard in that side of it, if you do well, you have like some tests, I think. And when you finish, you have like a really high chance of getting into Hack Reactor. The other form, which is what I did, was um, they just send you a bunch of content for that should take you like a month or five weeks or something. And then you apply after. Um, The reason why I chose the second option was because I am Seventh-day Adventist and we believe that we, that God rested on the seventh day. So because of that, we go to church on Saturday and we don't work. And so because of that, I couldn't do that program because the online version ran on Saturday. And so that's why I did the other kind. But you completed all the work. I completed all the and work. And then did you just, you, you're also exploring other things and some inbound thing fell from heaven or something like that into your <laughs> inbox. What was that? Like Jumpstart, I think? Yeah. So basically before Jumpstart though, I did all the content just like you said. And then I scheduled my interview with Hack Reactor. And then um, when basically in that interview process, the first thing they asked me was to debug code. And I didn't even know what a debugger is. Basically, for those who don't know what that is, that's a tool you can use in programming to kind of see what your code is doing line by line to see what issues there are. And so I basically just bombed that interview. Okay. And, and so so I know like you were exploring. So you're looking for other options. You bombed that interview. And then, then so I decided to try App Academy since that was the other big boot camp that I had heard about. Um, I found out that Hack Reactor ran on Saturday anyway, so it wouldn't have worked. And so the thing that really attracted me to App Academy was that not only do they not run on Saturday, but they have this deferred tuition model that you don't pay until you get a job. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's great. I just graduated from college and I need (laughs) to save as much money as I can. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to try to go into that. It's like an outcomes driven model. Yeah. And so did you do this kind of, did you know you you wanted to do App Academy back in Atlanta or how did you prepare for the move and to, to start preparing for Jumpstart. Yep. So my brother alluded to it. I got this, when I applied for App Academy, I got this email saying, hey, you've been accepted to Jumpstart. And I was really confused. I was like, is this a scam or something? And so, because I was like, what is that? And so I started researching. I went on incognito to make sure there wasn't any virus or something. <laughs> yeah. And I found out that Jumpstart was basically this program that allows you to basically learn the core things you need to prepare for an interview with App Academy. And if you complete both assessments in that program, you don't even have to be assessed technically in the interview. It's just a behavioral thing. Mm -hmm. And the program is completely free, but you have to be here in San Francisco to do it. Got it. Got it. And so you did that. You got accepted in. And then what happened? You just like bought a one-way ticket here. I think you had a friend that was with you or something like that, or you go by yourself, like talk about that. Yeah. So the friend came later, but I got accepted into Jumpstart. And then I asked my, my brother and Archer and Timor if it would be cool if I could stay with them while I was going through this. Mm-hmm. They happily agreed. Happily gave you our cot for you to sleep on. <laughs> yeah, the infamous cot. <laughs> I, I slept on a cot for about seven months. It was, it was good though. I mean... <laughs> I got to spend quality time with my brother. So. <laughs> and we'll, we'll definitely unpack that in a little bit. But yeah, what happened then? Yeah, so I moved here. And I think the scariest part about moving to San Francisco for me wasn't necessarily going to the new place. It was moving here without the assurance 
that I would be accepted into App Academy. Yeah. Because even though you can finish Jumpstart, you still don't know if you'll be accepted. Kind of like a leap of faith. Exactly. Do you have any backup plans? I didn't. <laughs> so I just knew I had been grinding for months and I believed that if I was going to be sent here, I was going to do something. Mm-hmm. You're going to bet on yourself. Yeah. Got it. So you moved out here almost 12 months ago, right? I moved here September 3rd of last year. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, so you come out months. here. Nice. You're still like preparing, mm-hmm. working on getting in. What, what, what month do you get? September of last year or December? When did you move when, here? I moved here September of last year. September of last year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when did you know that you got into App Academy? Yeah. So I got moved here, started jumpstart around September 5. I was able to pass it. And then I got accepted October 10. So about got a it. month later. Got mm-hmm. it. And that was to start the program in January December. of December of 2017. Yep. Got it. And so what did you do between October and December? So when you get accepted into App Academy, it's not just like, yay, you get accepted and you just sit there until it starts. They send you a bunch of material that you have to prepare for on day one so that since it's a boot camp and you're learning fast paced, they want to get going. And so they sent me a bunch of material that was supposed to take about two months, but I did it in about maybe four or five weeks, something like that, because that was basically all I was doing in yeah. that time span. Mm-hmm. And then um, around this time that I got accepted, you mentioned the friend. I told I posted a status about being accepted into App Academy and on I told Facebook? on my Facebook uh-huh. and one of my friends on my Facebook reached out to me and he said, Hey, you know, I heard you're going through this program or you got accepted. Tell me more about it. I told him and he said, Hey, that sounds really cool. I'm going to apply. And I didn't think he was actually serious because we were, you know, he was from Georgia mm-hmm. and, but I said, yeah, you know, go for it. And then like literally two days later, he's like, hey, I got accepted into Jumpstart. <laughs> right. That is like 10 nights your process. I was like, wow. <laughs> I felt like my journey was just like expedited through him. <laughs> and, so we, we, we do this a lot by, uh, and we help people to realize that it's all about peer learning. Since you've already been through this, even though you haven't even started a bootcamp, you can already advise your friends on how to navigate and what you, they should be doing to get into bootcamp. So did you help Ruel figure out how to prepare for Jumpstart or get Absolutely. through Jumpstart? Absolutely. So once when he got accepted, I basically sent him all the content that I did in Jumpstart to just um, help him be even better prepared than I was. Mm-hmm. I showed him some algorithms that I used to practice because that's really what you're assessed on, just algorithms getting in. And then just different types of material to bring him up to speed. And because of that, for perspective, it took me, I think, three or four weeks to graduate from Jumpstart. And he finished in a week. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So peer well, learning. There, can you give us some, because a lot of people are considering doing App Academy or these boot camps. What exactly did you tell um, Ruel to do? Hmm. So basically in the first week of the way Jumpstart works is for one week, you learn a bunch of content. And then the second week is just an assessment. Third week, more content. Fourth week assessment. So basically what I did was I gave him all the algorithms that I did, showed him my solutions of how I did it. Mm-hmm. Then I like, there's this cool website that I really like called Python Tutor. And what it does is it can show you line by line what each like variable or different thing is. So I showed him that resource and that he could go through that mm-hmm. to um, kind of see what's happening in the code. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once he felt comfortable about that, he tried doing it his own way. And then he just took off. Ruel did have a little bit of CS background. He'd worked in IT, so he wasn't completely new to programming. So mm-hmm. that might have helped too. Got yeah. it. Got right. it. And there's a lot of these boot camps that are out there that help you learn what normally takes a long time in college in a short amount of time. 
that have these deferred tuition models. But App Academy is a little bit different. Like some of them, you don't have to pay and you go in and then, you know, you get a job and they take the tuition, not your salary. But App Academy is kind of like Survivor a little bit, right? So can you kind of like describe what App Academy is like after you get accepted and when you're in there on a day-to-day basis and why it was important to have a buddy in there with you? Yeah, this could be really long. So uh, basically... So the the thing, as I mentioned earlier, that's really attractive about App Academy is that you don't pay until you get a job. But because of that, App Academy is known as one of the best boot camps in the country. And the reason why is since you get deferred tuition, they are banking on their students to be the best possible. And to kind of make that happen, you have assessments every week for six to eight weeks. And if you fail two of them, you get kicked out. And what that basically does is that forces you to learn the stuff as quickly as you can because you want to stay in. Mm-hmm. What was the follow-up? Got it. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep describing it. Yeah. So, and I told her, well, all of this ahead of time because I wanted him to know what he would be getting into. And, but when, I, when he told me that he was still going to go through it, I was so excited because as you mentioned, having a buddy go through this program would just be the best thing. He also moved to San Francisco without having a guarantee of being accepted into App Academy mm-hmm. too. He actually like drove across the country. And he slept in his car for a good amount of time too. Yeah. And Damn. so so both of you guys were in there. He had nothing. He was sleeping in his car with the stuff piled, looking at the rooftop and his story will come later. But you guys were both in this kind of like survivor boot camp chamber together, not sure whether it was going to work out. Yep. So can you talk about how many people started and finished? <laughs> what like the demographics look like in there? Because there's a lot of people... All kinds of different backgrounds go through these boot camps, which I think is important to, yeah. to, which is why we created the podcast. But there's also people that just have a traditional background that are in there. So kind of talk about the demographics and, and why it was nerve wracking in addition to the work. Yeah. So for demographics, I guess for perspective, me and Derwal are, are Hispanic. I'm also black. I was the only black person in my cohort. And me and Derwal, I think we're the only Hispanics. I think actually, I think there were three. But you asked how many started. We started out with 73. We ended up with 49. And what was... So uh, it sounds like the assessments are pretty difficult. What was your experience doing the assessments week to week? Yeah. So in week one, after I had gotten accepted and Derwell was situated here, we started grinding together. Like we wanted to be as prepared as possible. And so in the first week, so the way the assessments work basically is you have these specs and you have to get a certain score um, based on how you write your code to pass. The thing that's interesting is that because of that, you know how many specs you passed, but you don't know what the passing score is until the test is over, basically. And so when I started, when we started on our first test, we called them AO1, AO2, assessment one, assessment two. So when we finished AO1 and I had been grinding really hard, I got 36 out of 37. So I was pretty sure I was going to pass. I don't remember what or well got, but he passed as well. So we did fine in the first test. Then um, as we were ramping up and starting the next test, this is where we started learning about stuff called object-oriented programming, making classes and things like that. That was a lot harder. And in that one, I was like staying up really late because it just was not making sense to me. You were talking about demographics earlier. There were people who had computer science degrees and things like that. From not just like any, what kind of schools? Yeah. I mean, some people went to Stanford, Berkeley, Princeton all the Ivy League schools you can think of. And then there's- Still, still going to boot camps. Still, still going to boot camps. Yeah. And then there was me from Southern Adventist University. Yeah. 
And did you feel like your math background helped you? I felt like my math background helped me a lot in algorithms, maybe not necessarily kind of understanding the big picture of how like the internet works and things like that. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like analytical thinking, sure. But math definitely is not a requirement to be able to do programming. You hear that guys? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's not by a long shot. That's important to important to emphasize. And so, you know, you, you started passing these assessments every week. And so like, I think maybe you did know this or you didn't know it, but like if you failed twice, you thought, you know, you get kicked out, but then like you're still giving another opportunity. So kind of talk about that and how you felt when people were dropping off the leaderboards. Yeah. So in the first assessment, there were people who failed, but as you mentioned, you need two tests to get kicked out. So everybody was fine after the first one. Once the second assessment finished, and I barely passed that one, by the way, I got like 38 out of 49 and the passing rate was 36, something like that. Yeah. I think five people got kicked out just in that second week. So went, and one of them was a good friend of mine too, who had went to jumpstart with me. Yeah. And so like, Thinking about that perspective of people moving across the country and then just like being done after the second week was just like really kind of, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, man, what if that happens to me? You know, I barely passed the second assessment. Who knows what the future will hold? Yeah. But, you know. A lot of this was psychological. And we're going to talk about more about like what happens to those people later on. But like in this situation, specifically for this boot camp, you did fail twice. Yeah. And you did see people falling off. And, you know, you had to keep your head in the game. Like what kept your head in the game? Yeah. The big thing that kept my head in the game was well, my friend, mm-hmm. because I said, we're going through this together. I can't fail because then he'll be by himself and it'll be really awkward if we hang out in the future yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa. And yeah. so like we had this very strict schedule, like we would both wake up at 6 a.m. We'd both leave, meet mm-hmm. each other at the train station at like 730 we both get to App Academy at eight o'clock, study one hour before we would start. Yeah. Stay at App Academy till like eight or nine PM, go home together. Yeah. And I yeah. said that will all be ruined yeah. if I get kicked yeah. out. Yeah. And it sounds like it required a lot of discipline to to be able to excel and pass these assessments. Yep. And in addition to that, like it seems like it's pretty atypical learning experience as well, right? So like can you just compare the bootcamp experience to what you were learning in college and like the style of teaching as well as the pace? Like, how did you feel that compared to like your math degree and other things? Well, even done? to Treehouse. Yeah. yeah. So in college, I feel like people teach just to spread knowledge. And I feel like in boot camps and Treehouse, people teach you how to succeed. And so when I was going through App Academy and Treehouse, the things I were, was learning were really exciting because I knew that this information was not useless. It wasn't like my set theory and logic class or abstract algebra intermediate analysis where I learned that if write of proof that if A times B equals an even number, then at least A or B must be an even number. That's really going to help me in programming, you know? Yeah. And so when I was learning about all these things and then I saw that I could make real world applications from what I already knew, yeah. That was when I realized that this bootcamp was the yeah. best model. Yeah. 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 But as far as like the pace of it, I think it's important uh, yeah. to like talk about the yeah. pace. Like what you learned like, in those three months like, compared it's to like your you four went years. to Honduras, for example, yeah. right? You're learning a new language. Like quickest way to learn a new language is like moving to the country. So right. like, the bootcamp is kind of like moving to a country. It is. Quick, so. It's very immersive. And to be honest, this is just my opinion, but I felt like I was drowning the whole time. Like I felt that I could not catch up 
Like, yeah. do you think that you were the only one that felt that way? No, but when you're in it, it's very easy to because the thing about App Academy is that you're you're always pair programming with different people every single day. So you always get nervous who you're going to pair with every day. Because like, for example, there's this guy in our class who was just like a rock star. I'm like, I don't want to pair with that guy because I'm going to look like an idiot in front of him. So it kind of yeah. gives you that anxiety feeling every day. And can you unpack pair programming? Because I think it's a very different style of learning than just sitting in a classroom and listening to a lecture. Can you explain what it is and how is it implemented in a bootcamp setting? Yeah. So in a bootcamp setting, basically what pair programming, how it works is you're given some material to work on. And based on that material, you have two people. One person is known as the driver and the other one is known as the navigator. The driver is responsible for just typing in code. And the navigator is responsible for guiding that driver to write the code to solve whatever we're trying to do. And so basically what we would do is one person would be driver. One, and so let's say I was the driver. I would listen to the advice that this guy's saying and try to implement it through code. And then 15 minutes later, we would switch. So that way, everybody kind of has yeah. a turn. So it's kind of like if I was driving the car, you're literally, if, and you're the navigator, then you're telling me to make a left turn, exactly. go faster, go slower. So you're literally narrating every step. And you're not allowed to touch the wheel. Exactly. I think it's very important to know that it forces you to communicate with your partner, right? Absolutely. Because the thing that, at least in my experience, would make it really hard is sometimes, in, at least in my head, I'd be like, I know exactly what we have to do, but like, I can't take control. You know, like I have to make sure that my partner understands what I'm talking about so we can both be on the same page and succeed together or vice versa. If I don't know what's going on and my partner does, I have to make sure that he doesn't try to take over and just move on so we can finish the project and that we can be on yeah. the same page. And uh, when I was doing, so I did App Academy too. And to me, the pair programming was a game-changing experience because when you're learning on your own, you get distracted all the time. Absolutely. You're kind of, you're, your phone might ring or you might just get tired and you want to give up. Yep. But when you're there for six hours or seven hours with a buddy and both of you need to solve a problem, you can't leave. You can't leave your coding buddy. So you're forced to then kind of stick around and that makes time pass by a lot quicker because you're both working on a problem. And if you ever get stuck, two minds will get unstuck a lot quicker than just one. Absolutely. Uh, did that help you retain information too? It did. And the other thing that was even more like beneficial for me with peer programming is I got to see how different people code. Because the thing is that like one of the coolest things about programming to me is that there are dozens of different ways to solve the same problem. And so you can be used to doing something your way, but when you see someone else do it a different way, it kind of not only teaches you a different way to do it, but you start seeing different, like let's say different methods or different just approaches that you can use for future problems. Yeah. So everybody has a different type of swag, a different type of style, kind of like music, the way that they express things. Exactly. You know, I think it's important to know also that like you were going in feeling like you're drowning pair programming and doing in six days what other people were doing in seven. Yes. So it was extra difficult and you didn't want to fail two assessments, but you got to a point where you did. Yeah. Uh, talk so, about that. Let me get to that. Yeah. So since I wasn't studying on Saturday, that was one day less than I could prepare for the assessment. The thing that kind of helped, again, go through that was working with Rowell because he's also Adventist. So we could hold each other accountable, make sure that we didn't slip or do anything like that. And in fact, like during the second assessment, when 
I barely passed that one. That was the first assessment that it well failed. And that was when I was starting to get really scared because I said, I don't want to lose my accountability partner. And that's when we started really going into hyperdrive. And one thing that started helping, well, the interesting thing about our cohort in particular was that we're the December cohort. Usually App Academy takes no breaks throughout each cohort, but since you legally can't have people studying on Christmas or with their institution, uh, we had a week off. I said, perfect. This is the week where like we can really grind and get better and make sure we pass the next assessment. The other thing that was really cool was because since we had that week off, usually they don't let you retake another test for like the first one. But since we had this extra time, they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Since a lot of people failed out of the second test, five or six, they decided that after when we would come back, in addition to taking the third assessment, you could also take the second one. And if you passed both, then your first fail from the second one would be waived. Got it. And so we studied for a week. And then on that day, we took the assessment. They're well past the third test and the second test. Mm. So his fail was gone. Nice. And I was super excited for him. Yeah. But that was the first assessment that I failed. Okay. And then okay. we switched. Okay. So you failed the third assessment. I failed the third assessment. Yeah. So now the tables were kind of turned. And I, that was like the first, like, honestly, the scariest part. One of the scariest things I've ever experienced in my life. Because like, you go for a week, right? Until the following week. And you have to think about like the chances of you dropping out. right? Yeah. And it really is such a psychological game because it's so hard sometimes to focus on what you're learning that day because it's like, what if I get kicked out and it doesn't even matter, you know? But Rewell and I would, he kept telling me every day, he's like, we're going to make it. Like we were both sent here for a reason and we're going to figure it out. And so I still remember in the fourth assessment, probably there, there's six. And that was the other thing that was scary because I, I failed halfway through all of these assessments. Yeah. So I have three to pass. When you get two strikes, when you t- fail two, you, you're, you get kicked out, right? That's the rule. Almost. So when yeah. you fail two assessments, you have a retake. And so- That same day. That same day, exactly. Uh-huh. So all the assessments would be in the morning, and then there'll be lunch, and then the retake for that assessment. If you fail that retake, you get kicked out. Mm-hmm. If you pass that retake, you stay in, but for every future test, you can only pass on the first try. So if I- failed two tests and then I passed it. And let's say the next test was the fourth test. I would have to pass the fourth test, the fifth test, and the sixth test on the first try. No retake. Mm. So the fourth assessment came, which is arguably the hardest one. That's when you start learning about user authentication. And I still remember uh, Derwal and I had both, because I had failed that the previous test, Derwal and I went into like a room to pray. And then we basically were like saying like, let's do this. We're going to pass this test. And then in that, when we started the fourth assessment, I don't know what happened, but I failed it. And just to know, looking back at my, at my days, sometimes like you get like an hour to do an assessment and some people finish in like 10 minutes Oh man! or 20 minutes and they just get up and leave and you're just looking around. You're like, what are these people on? It's funny you mentioned that because when we were talking about CS degrees, there's someone who did that in 20 minutes yeah. and he was sitting right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, like, why is this person even here? Yeah. And I'm about to be failed out. But then you failed it. And then like, not only were you down, but the people around you were down and they were nervous. So like kind of describe the scene so that people could picture what it felt like and what it looked like in their minds. Yeah. So I remember 
the one thing that's really great in a way about App Academy is because since this is such a stressful environment, you form friends very quickly. It's almost kind of like I've never been in the military, but I imagine it's kind of like having army people working together through going through this war in the trenches together. Your friends don't want to see you go. And so if you guys are really close, they're going to figure out a way to try to help you stay alive. And so when I had failed the fourth assessment, I really thought that that was it. And there was no way I was going to make it through. And I was feeling super down. And the funny thing was like, every time the assessments are over, you start immediately into the lecture. And so everybody goes into the lecture. I was like, I'm not going to this. Like I I might be kicked out. Like I'm just going to spend this time to study more basically. And so I remember I was with, I had failed and then three other people had failed. So there were four of us, all of us had to do the retake. And I was sitting next to one of my friends who had failed with me. And so we decided that we would look at each other's tests to kind of see if he passed certain areas that I didn't and vice versa. So then we could try to like learn from each other to not make the same mistakes in the retake. Mm -hmm. And so we started doing that, but the lecture ended and at 12 o'clock, everybody was starting to go to lunch. And then three of my friends, Ruel being one of them, actually four people had come to, you know, see how I was doing. One of them, his name was Edward. I remember like how distraught he looked because when I was preparing for the fourth test, I was really struggling understanding the content. And that guy had literally be spending five to seven hours for two days straight helping me prepare for that fourth test. And so when he saw that I had failed that, he was like devastated basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he said, let's go through it and try to figure out what you did wrong. Then another guy, his name was Albert. He was looking with me and helping me as well. Noel was also helping me. Do you remember what what was the area or what was the thing that got you? Or like that I do. You could, I know exactly understand? what it was. So basically... Without in, getting super technical, yeah. but... Basically, the long story short, there were two types of functions that I had written and I wrote the logic for one of them in the wrong place. So all I had to do was just like switch the lines and then like I would have passed 10 more specs. Mm. And so I... These things are really complicated, so it's easy to overlook something very simple like that. And I just didn't notice it in time. Mm -hmm. And so while they were helping me, I had a fourth friend who went and got me lunch so I could eat while I was studying Mm. to prepare for this retake. And basically in my mind, I was like, wow, like all these people want me to succeed. Like I cannot let them down. Yeah. And so they're trying to help me. I was super depressed. I wasn't really listening to them, to be honest. But the thing that really stuck out to me was my friend said, App Academy chose you because they believed you could succeed. Mm-hmm. So go into that room and do it. Because App Academy only has a 3% acceptance rate and they believe that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I took that, I went into the room and then uh, <laughs> I still remember sitting, there, there's like a special room you go to to take retakes. And the interesting thing about that room is that people outside the room can look and see you, uh-huh. but you can't see them. Mm. Oh, it's like that? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like tinted windows, <laughs> sort of. Way, yeah. yeah. Was that, you, is that on purpose? I don't know, <laughs> but it sure felt like it did. You can't see their bodies, but you can see their shadows. So you can kind of like see their form. Yeah. So I could still tell who was looking at me. Yeah. But um, I remember one of my friends was looking at me through the window and I had started, well, before that, I, I started the assessment. It was about two hours long. And then after an hour in, I hit the same bug. I couldn't figure it out again. 
And then I was like, well, this is it. You know, I'm going to get kicked out. But then I looked outside and saw that shadow looking at me. And then I just started thinking like, you know, I wonder what they was thinking about while I'm going through this. Like our whole schedule is going to be messed up. We can't go through the train, nothing like that. And so I just started thinking and I said like a quick prayer, like, you know, if this is what you want me to do, God, let me figure this out. Mm-hmm. And I started like analyzing one of the variables that I had written. And then I realized that the only error was, was that I misspelled that variable. Name. And then when, yeah. yeah, that variable name. And then when I changed it to the right word, I passed like 10 more specs. I, I, I was nice. like, I was so hyped. And I was like, all right, I actually have a chance now. Mm-hmm. And so um, at this point I had passed, it was, yeah, 61 out of 73 specs. That's about 82%. Uh-huh. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm doing okay, but like I need to get as high as possible. And I'm like going into panic mode right now. So I go to the TA, I say, hey, come here. She comes here. And she, I just say, hey, so if you were looking at this score, do you think 61 out of 73 would be enough to pass? And then she's like, well, I think you should try to pass a couple more specs. I said, okay, she leaves. And then 20 minutes go by and I figure something out and I pass two more specs. Uh-huh. Now I'm at like 86%. I call her back, ask her the same thing. She says, you should try to pass more. And then there's about 15 minutes left. I'm just trying to figure something out and the time is ticking and I couldn't figure anything out. So I just turned it in. Uh-huh. And then I said another quick prayer. I was like, if you want me to pass, like, let this be within the range of passing. <laughs> and so after the test ended, she said, okay, I'm going to grade this and I'll come back within 20 minutes. She leaves. And so I talked to my friends. I said, how, I said, I missed 10. How many of you guys missed? I said, I missed 13. Some people missed like 20 or something. And then um, she comes back. She says, okay, the results are in. <laughs> the passing score was 63 out of 73, exactly the score that I got. Wow. And if Damn. I had missed one more spec, Damn. I would have gotten kicked out. Damn. Wow. And everybody in that room got kicked out except for me. Wow. Damn. So you survived, you finished it, you passed the rest of your test, you got to the end of the boot camp, and then it was job search time. What happened there? Because a lot of people finish these boot camps and they don't know how to navigate. That's a whole nother skill set. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So part of the job search ties into what happened after the assessment ends. So when you're done with the assessments, that's where Abacami gets like a lot less stressful and you have to build these projects. The projects are really good because they're like a culmination of everything that you learned. And so you really want to do a, a good job at making these projects because that's what you show to employers when you're applying online or if you're just interviewing and things like that. So I really struggled with making a lot of these projects, I, I felt like with this rapid pace, I still didn't have every piece fit in the puzzle to be able to create something. But, you know, I did the best I could. And then I went through those projects. And then when the job search ended, or sorry, when the boot camp ended and we began the job search, they kind of just throw you into the fire a little bit. Like App Academy has a little job search curriculum, but all it is really is you learn about negotiations and things like that. You talk about like you do pair boarding and things like that, but they don't really help you figure out how to actually get interviews. And so when I graduated, I assumed like everybody else did that you just have to send applications and people will just come running to you. But that's not how it happened. Got it. So I mean, they do have career coaches. They are telling you to apply online. Um, And so what did you do differently 
that helped you um, do this? And were you still living on the cot at this time? Or? Yeah. So I'll tie this back to you guys. Around this time, we had moved from where we lived previously, where I was sleeping on the cot, to our new place. And thankfully, they, everyone was nice to give me a bed that I could sleep in. So no more cot. <laughs> and so what was the follow-up question? Sorry. Well, it's just kind of like what, how... How did I get started? Yeah. How did you get started? Yeah. So first I was just sending applications and I was being really stubborn and not listening to what my brother and our certain team were saying. And they said, basically, the way you get opportunities is by networking and emailing and going to meetups and things like that. And so at first I was trying to just do the simple applications and it wasn't working. I was, yeah. So you were applying online. Yeah. Like doing what you were told. Yeah. 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 I was doing what I was told. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How, how long did, did you do it for? Yeah. So I think once I had sent around 100 applications and maybe one person responded, I started thinking like, this probably isn't the best way to get out. What was the, so typically companies will reply like with a rejection email. What was some common rejection reasons? So a lot of times, and it's, it still happens. I, I still get rejections now, even though I've gotten an offer from just places I've applied yeah, I have to. A delayed response. <laughs> delayed rejections. Basically, a lot of times you get this automatically do not reply message and it'll say like thanks well you had an impressive display on your resume you just don't have quite the skills that you're looking for and when all those messages start seeing looking the same you start realizing that there's like some automated generator thing that's looking for things in your resume and if you don't have those things then they're not even going to pass it in front of someone yeah, yeah. and so what was, what was interesting is like you know you were following this method like getting like one percent results that were still rejections and then you're trying to then you started turning into this like networking master people started telling me your brother's a networking master i was like what that doesn't make any sense <laughs> so what what happened so i started talking to ruben about it and he told me i challenge you to send 10 emails every day i said 10 emails like that sounds terrible that sounds like a lot of time that's the time i could be programming and then he said, well, you know what? Try it for two weeks. And if you do it, I'll give you $20. And if you don't do it, you owe me $20. Well, I did it for a week and I didn't give him $20. <laughs> <But> <laughs> once I started sending those emails every day, though, I noticed that for about every 10 of them, or maybe 10 to 15, I would get at least one response. I was like, well, this is way better than one in 100. And what kind of email was it? So first... When I very first started, I spent like an hour trying to send one email. And why? Because I wanted to try to really present myself as someone who was really eager to work for this company and all of that stuff. And then when I spent all of that time to write that email and they didn't even respond to me, I started to realize like I could spend five hours writing one email to someone and they could never respond, you know? So I need to figure out some better way to still make this personalized, but not excessively spend time on one person. Mm -hmm. And so I think Timor like helps you out a little bit. Yeah. There, right? So I started talking to Arts and Timor because they were really experts in this and they had done a lot of emailing when they were in their job search. So I started asking what they did and they showed me some templates that they had written. So it would say like, you know, hello person. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing at this company. I'm an engineer with these skills, would love to buy a cup of coffee and learn more about what you do as an engineer on, at that company. 
Mm-hmm. And something personal in there. And something personal. Well, before I was just doing it that way. And then even with that, I started maybe getting two to three responses. And then once I started doing personal, it started ramping yeah. up. And I think it's important to know that the job search, it's very unstructured, while your bootcamp experience is very structured. And where a lot of people kind of fall off is once they're in their job search, they want to see some structure. And typically, they tend to do the easy thing, which is just apply online, which doesn't work because you're out of a bootcamp applying online and there's 60 other people in the same city as you applying online and there's other bootcamps and there's a lot of other people looking for work. So then the market just gets flooded with emails of people who on paper, they all kind of look the same. So sending out emails is very important. And we actually showed you some tools to use to um, keep track of these emails. Because if you're sending out 10 emails a day, you can get lost in that process. What was your process like? to make sure that you followed up with all everyone that you sent out an email to. Yeah. So when I first started, all I did was I would literally keep track and then just see who I haven't emailed with and then just respond to those. Mm-hmm. Then Archer introduced me to a Chrome extension called Streak. And that extension is really cool because not only does it show you when your email has been viewed, but you can also categorize your emails by like stages that you're in with the interviewing process. So I could say like, let's say coffee meeting or something and I'll put all these companies under it. And then I'll say like behavioral phone interview, these companies mm-hmm. on site, these companies offers this company. And then it kind of makes it a little easier to follow up with everybody. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did you get everybody's contact information? That was the other Chrome extension that I used. So there was a extension that I used called Clearbit. And what that does is basically you can type in a company and then it'll show you the top contacts for all of those for that company. So let's say I typed in, I don't know, Asana, for example, and then it'll say, here's the CEO, CTO, whatever. And then if you click on one of the people, it'll show you like their LinkedIn, their email, different information like that. I usually, I would just grab their email and then just send them something with a templated email. And then for something personalized, what I would usually do is a lot of times when you're out reaching to these people, they have Twitter is probably the most popular thing to find stuff about them. If not, a lot of times people have a personal website, a blog or something like that. So I would try to read something about what they did and say, hey, you know, I saw on this that you talked about this. So it shows that you've done their research. If they didn't have anything that I could find, then I would look at the company itself. And let's say it said, this company got 10 million in funding. I was like, hey, congrats on on that. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. And I definitely want to talk about like who you reached out to in a second. But I think what's important to emphasize here with the job search is the reason why most people fail at the job search not just engineers, is because they don't realize that the job search is a sales process. And the top salespeople get rejected most of the time, and most of the results tend to come from 20% or less of their efforts. So a lot of people aren't used to that rejection, and it's very demotivating if you're not psychologically built for that. Yep. So like, who, do, who are some of the people that you are reaching out to? So at first, I was trying to reach out to my LinkedIn connections, and I was also looking at people from breaking into startups like Rodney or um, Yusuf and like the people I mentioned, Carly Carly as well. Kyle. Kyle as well. Kyle was actually the first person. So I- At you lunch. Yeah. Twilio. Exactly. So I heard his episode. I was really excited. It was really cool. And Charles walked up to you while you were there too. (laughs) (laughs) He did. I didn't know who he was at the time. (laughs) But um, when I heard his episode, I said, wow, this guy seems really cool. He's from Atlanta, where I'm from. And- I could use that like as something to connect with him with. Mm -hmm. So I sent him an email. 
he agreed to meet with me for lunch at Twilio. That's where I started learning about these things that were called apprenticeship programs. Twilio was one of the first companies to do that. And basically what that is, is it's kind of like a little internship where you're still paid basically a full-time role and it kind of like ramps you up to be an engineer for those mm-hmm. with non-traditional backgrounds. So that was really useful information that I learned from that coffee meeting. Yeah. So you hit up a lot of our guests, which is something we recommend to everyone that's in the job search. But then something that you did that I think a lot of folks find it counterintuitive is the people, the types of people you reached out to at these companies. And we hear a lot of folks in the job search reaching out to the recruiter because it seems like it's the most logical choice. But a lot of the time it turns out to be a filter or disqualifier, but you did something different. Can you share with our audience? Yeah. So (laughs) I decided to try emailing the CEOs and CTOs of companies Mm -hmm. just to see what would happen. You know, Mm. at first when I was telling my friends that I was doing this, they're really, they thought I was crazy. Like, how could you email someone so high up? Like, they don't know who you are. I said, well, they're a person too, right? And so mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why not? Yeah. And the worst that they'll do is not respond. Yeah. And so I started doing that. Mm-hmm. And what I realized that when I would start emailing the CEOs and CTOs of basically any company, they wouldn't all necessarily respond. But a lot of times, I would get forwarded to like some recruiter that would say, hey, the CEO of this company gave me your information, would love to hop on an interview with mm-hmm. you. So, the, so then you the, start getting the shot. Yeah. So the execs were uh, a lot of the time too busy, but they would forward the email to the recruiter and be like, hey, interview this person. Which is different than getting rejected and not getting the interview. Exactly. And even when I got rejections, it was great because at least I got something than sending an application online and not hearing anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so then you started like getting interviews and some of them went well, some of them didn't. I think you did something unique starting. Well, actually, before doing that, you also did something else uh, with meetups. So can you talk about the meetups that you went to? Yeah. So there's a really great meetup that I recommend anyone who's in the job search go to. I still go to it because I really like it. It's called Waffle JS, And basically... It's a meetup where a lot of people who are trying to get better at JavaScript, they have about five lectures of JavaScript-related topics. And the speakers there usually work at really big name companies. Like there are people at Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And so uh, one of my friends from App Academy told me about it. And so she told me that she was going. I said, okay, that sounds cool. I'll go too. And when I went there, I met one of the hosts there worked at Patreon. Mm -hmm. And for me, Patreon is like one of my dream companies. It's a company that as an artist, you know, they help people who don't have as good opportunities be able to make a living doing what they do. So Mm -hmm. kind of working on the tech side of that would be a pretty amazing thing. And so when I went to that meetup and met the host there, I just, it was really hard. I was very shy and I didn't want to talk to anybody. That's the scary thing, I guess, about meetups. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of be bold. But I waited till not many people were talking to him. I just went up to him. And I still remember the first time I just said, hey, I'm David. And then he's just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I said, hey, you know, and then I was kind of like calculating what I should say ahead of time. I said, you know, I really appreciate that you took the time to set up this whole event. Have you been doing this for a long time? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been doing this, whatever. And then I said, hey, you said you worked at Patreon, right? And I said, so yeah, you know, I do this and that. I said, cool, you know, Patreon is a really great company. And as a musician, I've really enjoyed seeing the how you guys have helped make a difference in people's lives. 
And basically once I said that I was a musician, he kind of just ramped up and he was just like, lit up. You're a musician? And I said, yeah. He's like, what do you play? I said, oh, I play cello, piano, and guitar. He's like, mm. no way. We love guitarists. And then he's just <laughs> like, are you looking for opportunities? I said, yep. And then he said, hey, well, you know, give me your, um, give me, email me. I said, what's your email? He's like, Max or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so I gave him my email or he gave me his email and then I emailed him. Yeah. yeah and what's cool about the story is since you're living with us, you would just come home and you would tell us these stories. Yeah. So we literally can like, we were with you along the way. And I think that night you came home and you were like, yeah, my friends, um, they all kind of left early and you actually stayed there because you had a purpose and you ended up getting the contact info. So can you talk about, I guess, what you could have done, which was easy, but you decided to do the hard thing and why that was important? Yeah. So basically a lot of times when people go to meetups, they go there with the intent to network. But when you actually go there, it's very easy to just kind of listen to the topic and then be like, well, all these people are talking in groups. So uh, it's, it's too hard to network and they just go home. Mm -hmm. And so when I was, when that meetup ended, I was just talking with my friends. They all wanted to go home. I said, well, guys, like, you know, we came here to find opportunities, right? Like it's kind of a waste of time and money because we spent $10 to go to this meetup. So <laughs> we should try to at least make one contact. And yeah. so they're like, well, but they're talking to, to like 10 people. I said, so let's wait. <laughs> and so I said, and if we work together, then it won't be as scary because if I run out of something to say, we can feed off of each other, but they didn't want to. And so they all left. And then I was by myself. I was like, so that's how you became the master networker, just by waiting it out <laughs> until everyone and by leaves. being bold and saying, what's up? Yeah. Hi, what's and your name? That night you got a few more emails, right? Or did you meet anyone else? I think I'm, it's really hard to remember because it was a while back yeah. ago, but I think I got one or two. But one thing that I did do yeah. was I remember one person there worked at Twitter and um, I wasn't able to talk to her, but I remembered her name. So I went to my favorite Chrome extension, Clearbit. And I searched her name on Twitter and her email came up. And then I just nice. sent her an email and said, hey, really loved your talk at Waffle.js. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to meet up, but I would love to learn more about what you do mm -hmm. at Twitter. And I think a lot of people are scared to kind of just like email random people because they'll say like, what if they say, how did you get my email? <laughs> and I've Has said, that ever happened to you? I have emailed over 200 or 300 people and that's never happened. Yeah, include, including CEOs. <laughs> including CEOs and CTOs. And a lot of the time, it's kind of understood when you're emailing, like kind of what you want. You might not be asking for a job, you're asking for advice or exactly. getting a coffee, but it's kind of understood. And those people get hit up a lot anyways. So no one's going to get upset at an email that's friendly and personalized. Especially from a meetup of, that's about networking. Yeah. So then you, you got this onsite. Yep. And I think, I know we're sk kind of skipping a lot of things. Because you got a bunch of interviews, but what did you do when you got rejections? Because I think in particular that on site, they gave you like seven pages of something. Yeah. So at that time, Patreon was really like my first big break. I had gone a month basically trying to send applications and nobody was talking to me. And it's very easy to feel like you're not worth anything when nobody's talking to you. And so when I not only got that opportunity from, Patreon, but it was actually from one of my dream companies. Like that was a big deal to me because like they believe that I have potential basically. Yeah. And so I started through that interview process, just like you said, 
had a phone screen that was fine. Had the technical one. Do you want me to talk about that or just go straight into the onsite? Yeah, just kind of like go straight to the onsite. Yeah, I think that the main thing like is the feedback piece. I yeah, think is important just because a lot of people don't ask for feedback. Yeah. So I went through the onsite and that was really long. It was like five and a half hours, something like that. And at that point, I was really only preparing by doing algorithms, which really helped with my math background. But Patreon's interview process was very practical, like building things and doing system design and interviews and things like that. And I never like I never had a system design interview. That's nothing App Academy ever did. And I never really, I hadn't built something in a while, so it didn't go as well as I hoped. Yeah. And And, uh, I think a lot of people think that you're going to just start acing interviews from like your first one. But the reality is it's like anything else. It's like playing basketball. You're going to miss a few shots and you got to get warmed up. And uh, it just happened to be that Patreon was your dream company as your first one. But it doesn't mean that you can't get better, right? And this feedback that you got, can you share what that feedback was? Yeah, that feedback was basically saying that um, it was mostly on the system design related mm-hmm. thing. So they said, you know, improve your um, knowledge on how like the controllers work with like the front end and all that stuff. Some of it was just like, I th- they said that my soft skills were, were pretty good. Like there wasn't anything awkward about me or like that I was a bad person or anything like that. They were mostly just technical things like, you know, Make sure that you can really voice what you're saying instead of like being silent for a while. That's something that a lot of people tend to do. Make sure to write examples, things like that. Like be very explicit in what you're explaining in these interview processes, things like that. Yeah. And the reason the reason why, you know, Timur brought up kind of it's kind of like basketball is because in kind of like what you brought up earlier about just solving problems for no reason. A lot of times when you're doing interview practice, on your own it's not like real quote unquote so like what's part of the reason why we're encouraging you to apply online or and to actually no to cold email people and get interviews is because it's better to like get real practice and fail and then ask for feedback and figure out where you're weak so that you can know what to improve on and practice on solving problems and getting stronger in areas where you're weak just keep getting that real-time practice like losing but then getting better every time until like You've pretty much seen every scenario. And I think the best analogy for that, uh, for those of you who are musicians, is only practicing skills and never learning pieces and performing. You can be the best, like, skilled, whatever, um, have all the music theory, but if you're never putting into practice, you'll never be a musician. Yeah, Yeah. also with that tool, it's like running through playing all the pieces you already know. That too. And not focusing on the problem spots to figure out how to get better. Absolutely, Um, yeah. Yeah, but, can you talk about the journey and managing your mental state? Because like it has a lot of ups and ups and downs. It's a long period of time. You need to be constantly doing multiple things at once. How did you go about kind of keeping your focus on the goal of getting a job? That changed a lot as the time went on. It took me five months for perspective. Uh, when I first started, I basically App Academy. Ha- one thing that was really cool that App Academy did was after you finished, they had like this job search curriculum that had a lot of material to learn from. They would say like spend two hours doing algorithms, uh, an- like an hour emailing people, another hour like building projects and things like yeah. that. So I kind of just followed their model. But then after a while, like I just didn't think that it was working. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was once I started getting interviews, 
The best part about failing interviews is that you learn where you're weak in. Mm-hmm. And so I started focusing more daily on something that I was really weak in. And then when I felt that I was good on that, then I would switch to something else. Yeah. yeah. And did you feel like at any point in, uh, during the job search that you were like not going to make it or did you ever lose uh, all the time? Like faith? Yeah. I think one of the hardest things is, is seeing your friends just all, keep getting jobs and then you're just like, is it ever going to happen to me? So it's the opposite. In the beginning, in Academy of Survivor, but then during the job search, everybody's getting $100,000 offers and you just like the only one not getting offers. Yep. Yeah, and for perspective, because on this podcast, we try to keep it real for people and I think a lot of people imagine that they go through the boot camp but there's a job waiting for them, but there's a, it's a long process and you have to perfect your skills, finish up your portfolio and do all of that stuff. In your case, what did you find more challenging the learning piece during the boot camp or the job search? I think the job search was more hard mm-hmm. or True. was harder. The reason why is because at least in a boot camp, even though it's really fast paced and tough, there's structure, you know? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, when you finish the boot camp, I still have access to App Academy's curriculum. So if I was never clear about something, I can always go back to it. Mm-hmm. And that was really useful. I, I actually used that for a coding challenge that I did like where I had to write tests in R spec for Ruby. I didn't remember how to do that. And then when I went back to the curriculum, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can do that. But the job search isn't like that. You know, you're, you're just expected to figure it out. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And I think what it also comes down to is when you are in the job search, you got to create your own structure mm-hmm. and you got to find that group of people who could help you stay accountable. So we talked about your peers in App Academy that helped you learn. But when you were in the job search, did you have any like accountability buddies yeah. who helped you get through that those tough moments during uh, the job search? Yeah, I mean the three of you. <laughs> so <laughs> did you have like Rowell and Adrian I mean, and? Yeah, I mean I was gonna get into all of that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. One thing that started helping a lot was when Career Commerce started doing sessions here at home every Friday. That was, was the open office hours. Open office hours was really cool because I think when so I forgot to mention when we moved here. We had an, a third friend here. His name was Adrian, who went through App Academy with us. And so kind of living with two App Academy people in my cohort was really cool because we could we started doing these things called stand-ups where we would talk about what we learned every day, talk about how our approach is to reaching out to people. We started working on a project together, which you don't really do a lot at App Academy. Most of the times you do solo projects. Working on a project together is really nice because you have to learn how like workflow works between people, how how you can contribute to the same project and things like that. And so um, making projects together increased our skills. We would do peer programming, do whiteboarding together. And then when Career Karma started doing their sessions on Friday, what was really interesting about that was people all over San Francisco are coming. People who have tons of experience, people who don't have experience. And what's really cool about that was when I would see, sometimes you guys would do peer programming sessions in front of everybody mm. or whiteboarding. Yeah. You could hear what the experienced engineers were saying for feedback. Yeah. And that was really valuable for me. Yeah, for sure. And for context, Career Karma is the tech platform that Ruben, Timo, and I started to support people in the Breaking the Startups community. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to learn how to code, then reach out to us, Arthur at BreakingTheStartups.com, Ruben at BreakingTheStartups.com, and we'll help you get matched with other peers who, who want to learn how to code. Yep, yep, yep. And so, you know, then what was the Omada Health piece like? So 
how did you go about choosing the companies you were applying to? Because a lot of people, you know, will they'll come to us through either Breaking Stars or Career Karma and say, hey, I want to get a job because it's so hard for me. And we're like, okay, so we'll connect you to whoever. Where do you want to work? And nobody really has a thought process about it. So how did you go about company selection and how did you land on Omada? Yeah, so one nice thing about living with you guys is that since you guys are so connected to so many people at different companies, I can kind of um, learn who to reach out to. One thing that kind of got me started in figuring out companies, though, in particular, was when you guys recorded the podcast for Alexis Ohanian. I was there Mm -hmm. filming, if anybody saw that terrible (laughs) camera work. I remember that he was starting a company called Initialized. And so when I went on that website, I saw that they had a page called Slash Startups. For the people that don't know, that's a venture capital firm. And you can see any venture capital firm in their portfolio. So that Slash Startups is essentially referring to the companies that Initialized invested in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so there were like a hundred something startups in there. That was Alexis Ohanian and Gary Tan. So uh, shout out to both of them. Yes. And so um, I said, well, I'll just go down the line. And so my goal went to get a job in the company was to get a job in San Francisco. I was not reaching out to like Oakland or Brooklyn or anywhere surrounding the Bay Area. I wanted a job in San Francisco because I knew that I could. And even though the competition is very steep, you guys did it. So I knew I could do it too. Yeah. And so a lot of these startups in Initialized were in San Francisco. So I just started emailing the CEOs as I always do. And um, the VPs, I would usually email CEOs, CTOs, and VPs of engineering, nobody Flag. else. And so what happened was I would start getting emails mostly from or meetings with the VPs. And a lot of times they would say, well, you know, you seem great, but you know, you, you just don't have the experience. And that's... And would they say to you in the coffee meeting or over email or... Yeah. So they wouldn't say it in the, well, a couple of people did in the coffee meetings, but most of the time what would happen was in the coffee meeting, I can go into details of what that in, mm-hmm. if you want later, but yeah. in the coffee meeting, by the end of it, they would ask for my resume and stuff like that. And then when I would get an email from the recruiter, then they would say in the email, like, you don't have experience basically. Yeah. And essentially this process has got you to interview with all the top companies. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, sending emails to people, you got, you interview with like, go, Google, Stitch Fix, Reddit, whatever. Mm-hmm. The list goes on, like a bunch of them, right? Yep. Okay. Cool. What was the, so a lot of people ask us, what do I do when someone responds? So like if someone responds to your first email, what do you do next? So when you send your outreach email and the person responds, they'll say, hey, yeah, let's meet. And they give you the time and place. Then usually say, hey, you know, thanks for the quick response. Looking forward to meeting with mm-hmm. you soon. When I actually go to the meeting, what I would do, because basically what you want to do, I call people call this the informational interview. It's like you're basically showing them that you want a job, but you don't want to specifically ask for it. Mm -hmm. You want to learn as much about the company from them as you can. And a lot of times, even in my coffee meetings where I never had interviews, there was a lot of valuable information that I learned that helped me. So it's not a waste of time. So what I would do was I would meet with the person I would first ask them how their weekend was. They would tell me and then they would ask me the same thing. And then I would say, well, you know, just been working on some projects, algorithms, preparing for interviews, looking at different companies and seeing the exciting opportunities. I'm really excited that this company, that you took the time to speak with me and I would love to learn more about what you guys do. Then I would just ask them different questions like, how many engineers are there? What 
what's the workflow like? What are some of your company values? Mm -hmm. And then basically by the end of that interview or that coffee meeting, if a lot of times I would say, you know, you seem like a great person, send me your information, let me get started. If they didn't, then I would say, thanks for taking the time to speak with me. As I mentioned, I'm trying to learn more about what you do. Is there anyone else I could reach out mm-hmm. to? Yeah. Would you ever um, like come in with stories about your own experience already kind of thought through? So you, when they ask you, tell me about yourself, mm. you can explain how your experience ties to why you're interested in the company? Absolutely. Always do your research on whoever mm-hmm. the company is and the person you're speaking with before um, you meet with them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, don't be like a creeper or something and say like, oh, I saw on your Facebook that you did this or something. <laughs> but That uh, was your daughter's first birthday yeah. yesterday. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but, you know, you want to show them <laughs> what you know, yeah. because um, one, it's flattering. And two, it shows you're really excited. It's like, hey, like, for example, with Patreon or with Omada, you know, where I, I got that from starting with the coffee meeting, too. I said something like, you know, my dad is an oncologist. He is dedicated to saving people's lives. And I grew up with uh, having that in my life. And I never saw myself being in the medical field. But then once I learned how tech can basically be in all fields, it's kind of a cool idea of being a tech doctor and learning that you guys are stopping people from chronic illnesses is really cool to me. Yeah, it sounds like a story that resonates. And so like that personal background, same thing with the Patreon situation. That's what's going to get people to light up. I think something else that you that I think is unique is you started leveraging your your abilities as well for the Waffle JS meetups because you performed at Waffle JS, you performed at Twitch, which was gaming, which you liked as well. So like, talk about that a little bit about how like that type of stuff started getting people's attention. Yeah, one of the things that I did since I kept going to Waffle JS a lot is after a while, people started noticing <laughs> that I came a lot, and so there was. In that meetup, they have, you can volunteer to be a speaker or the guest musician. And at that point, I didn't really feel like I was ready to talk about anything. So as being a musician, I just asked Max, the guy from Patreon, I said, hey, could I play? And he's like, absolutely. And then um, after I played, uh, my brother came to watch. A lot of people just came talking to me and they just said, wow, like you do this and that. And I said, wow, this is like kind of easy now. People are just coming up to me. Tables are reversed. Yeah. (laughs) You just make yourself known at these places and the opportunities start coming. And that's how um, one of the MCs worked at Twitch. And she said, hey, I really liked what you played. Would you like to perform at this place? And you just keep getting more connections. And I think it's important to know that you weren't relying on a single strategy of outreach. Sounds like you were sending out emails. You were sending out applications online to an extent. You were also going to meetups. You were just putting yourself out there. And... If you do all those things, there's no guarantee that one specific channel will hit, but mm-hmm. one of them will eventually, right? That's the number. Yep. So take us to your Amada like interview. So you go to a coffee meeting with was it a the CEO or this one was the VP of engineering? Okay, so you go to the. So how did that go? Yeah. So near the time when I got introduced to Amada, I started actually, as you mentioned, I'm always doing different things. So I started shifting gears into other ways for networking, and. I started talking to Ruben for help and he said, Hey, look at my LinkedIn connections and see who I'm connected to. And maybe we could, I can make like an introduction or introductory email for you basically. So I started looking through those and I saw the VP of engineering at Omad of health was connected to him. And then I remembered that Yusuf, the guy on the podcast went, worked there too. 
And so I said, well, that's good. That must mean they're receptive to bootcamp grads. So let me get her email from Clearbit. And then um, from that, let me try to use Ruben to see if there's any common ground and then she'll be more receptive. So I said something like, hello, my brother Ruben has nothing but great things to say about you, even though I wasn't completely sure if he did. But <laughs> thankfully, they did have a good relationship mm-hmm. and um, would love to learn more about what that engineering culture is like at Omada, whatever. And then she responded. She's like, I love Ruben. This is great. Like, yes, you're his brother. No way. I didn't even know he had a brother. Let's <laughs> let's meet. I said, cool. And so um, so I met with her for coffee. And then she said, I basically said what I was talking about with my dad being a doctor and all that stuff. And then I started asking her questions. And then the cool thing about coffee meetings, a lot of times that I started noticing is that people meet near where they work. Mm-hmm. And so she said, hey, if you want, Omada's right across the street from us. I can give you a tour. I said, wow, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went and I had a tour and it was great. And then at the end of it, she said, hey, you know, you seem like a nice guy. We are looking for juniors right now. So if you want, send me your information. Mm-hmm. I said, great. I sent her my information. And then um, literally two days later, I got an email from the recruiter and they said, hey, let's get you started with the interview process. You'll be interviewed by the director of engineering. I said, okay. Two days later, I had that phone call. And in that one, I wasn't sure what the context was, if it was going to be technical or not. But you know, I, I prepared as I always do doing algorithms for building stuff. And so in that phone call, the director of engineering basically told me more about what he does, more about what Omada does. And then he asked me to tell me about myself. And after that, he asked if I had any questions for him. That's something very important in these uh, behavioral interviews. Always have questions to ask mm-hmm. because, yeah. So I asked him some questions. And then the question that I always ask is, what are next steps? And so he said, okay, well, next steps, you'd be moving on to a non-site. I was like, wait, what? Like, I haven't even <laughs> shown anything technically, but okay. And so after that, two days later, I got the on-site availability. And then I scheduled that for the following week and had the on-site. It was two peer programming sessions where you actually got to work in the company's code base. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool. And then after that, they had some questions to wrap up. And after that, I got the offer. Yeah. Congrats, man. That's huge. And you you mentioned that you were surprised to see the people who you were peer programming with because there were a lot of bootcamp grads at Omada, right? Both people that I interviewed were. One went to Dev Bootcamp and the other App Academy. Yeah. So can you talk about how like companies that have bootcamp grads are more receptive to hiring bootcamp grads? And like, did you feel more comfortable knowing that someone actually went through App Academy and knew what you were going through? Absolutely. Because I would imagine at least in my mind as I was interviewing with them and I might be struggling in some things probably in his mind. These guys, even though they were bootcamp grads, they've been working for like four or five years. And so... But they could remember back in their times when they were first starting. Mm -hmm. They could say, oh, you know, these are simple mistakes that I probably made when I was starting too. And so I think they could relate to me more. Yeah. And they knew that like if they just, I imagine in their heads, like if we just kind of help mentor him in this direction, he'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, when it comes to reaching out to companies, one of the best indicators that we always tell people to pick is, can you use LinkedIn to see where Bootcamp Grad's working at? And it doesn't just have to be App Academy or the bootcamp that you went to. Just do like a general search for your zip code within a 20-mile radius, like who hires bootcamp grads 
and then start with those companies first. Because if those companies hired a bootcamp grad, that they're that they're very likely to hire another one if they have an open position. Yep. Yeah. And actually, that I did do that a lot. There was on App Academy. Um, if you search the company, you can see the alumni, and mm-hmm. then it would show like what companies they would work at. And I would just go down the list and email all of them and just have coffee meetings with them. That's nice. awesome. And yep. so like for, you know, people that are thinking about getting these job offers and like working super hard, like what are the ranges of the offers that people were getting or like from a salary perspective? So the typical App Academy grad in San, so App Academy is in San Francisco and New York at App Academy. And I think Hack Reactor too, I'm not, I'm not positive. The average salary is 105000 and in New York, it's, I think, 90000 And what I can tell you is that of all my classmates, the lowest I've ever heard someone get is 90000 Got it. And so yours was in the same range, a little bit above it, which is congratulations. And yeah, I think we could go into the Yeah, right. I guess um, since you had a few on-sites, you had a bunch of phone screens, what type of problems would you recommend people to practice to prepare oh, for these cool. interviews? Yeah. So that varies from company to company. Mm-hmm. What I did a lot when I was preparing for technical interviews for companies was I would use Glassdoor. If you guys haven't heard of it, it's a great website. It will show you basically a ton of information about a company, the salary, the interviews. So I would just go on the interview tab and look under software engineer. And then people would say like, oh, um, know how to do like recursive problems or no, build your own data structure or something. So whenever I was looking to technically interview with someone, I would see what there was there. And based on what they said, I would prepare myself that way. If there was nothing for that company, then I would usually just go to the default leak code every day. Leak code is the best for <laughs> algorithms, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I would recommend doing leak code medium. Those are probably the highest standard. Leak code medium problems are really hard. I only had one interview where it was a leak code hard, and that was with Google. So. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen in yeah. my experience. Yeah, that's cool. So now what can people expect? Just uh, what is your goal now that you got an offer for the next year or two? My goal is to become the best software engineer I can be. I want to accomplish that by really just learning from experienced people. One thing that I really like about Omada is that they are really big into peer programming. So seeing how to grow from them will be very beneficial. So for my first year, what I want to do is just grow, save money, obviously, pay back App Academy and all that. And then maybe down the line, once I really level up and get my skills, maybe I'll start my own thing. Yeah, nice, that's man. cool. And uh, last question. So you got to actually not only listen to the podcast, but also live with us for the last 12 months. And so we definitely have seen you grow as an engineer, as a person. So kind of what is your experience living with us and like just seeing the career karma get started, bringing the startups kind of since you got to actually live with us, just curious to hear. The good, yeah. bad, and the ugly. I feel yeah. like that could be a whole other <laughs> like discussion. But, um, but yeah, what stood out to you about uh, us? I think the thing that really stood out to me about all three of you is how driven and dedicated you guys are. I've never seen really anybody before I moved here willing to just like sacrifice fun and like hanging out to just work. We hang, we hang out with <laughs> each other. I make it sound boring. <laughs> it's really fun hanging out with each other. <laughs> but it's really inspiring to me because when I see like, you know, 
you guys helping millions of people, it's amazing in that regard. So I think that part of seeing that would motivate me to work harder. And then you guys would provide those opportunities. Like I didn't mention it before, but you guys helped me get started, like working with your app so I could mm-hmm. learn what it's like to look at yeah. a company code base. Yeah. Do you feel like, so you did an apprenticeship with us as well with Career Karma. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you feel like pair programming and kind of getting familiar with a production code base helped you when you were doing an onsite at Amada? It was honestly probably the best preparation mm-hmm. because the thing is that since I had never seen a company code base, even looking at yours, I know yeah. Career Karma's app is new, so mm-hmm. there's not a whole, whole lot, Yeah, but that I had never seen so much code yeah. before. And so when I went to Omada and saw like an app that's been out for five years or something that was even crazier, it was really daunting. But having had that experience, Mm -hmm. like seeing that made it a little less scary. Yeah. And um, writing tests was really helpful too. Yeah. Nice. And and, uh, to build on Arthur's question, so what was it like living with your brother Mm -hmm. and uh, learning from him? So this was a unique experience for me because... Ruben and I haven't really lived together a lot before <laughs> before we moved here. Mm-hmm. He's six and a half years older than me, so we were always at different stages in life. When I was six, he was basically starting high school. When I was in high school, he was gone. So <laughs> I was really like the only child for a long time. And so moving here, I felt like it took us a while to kind of get used to each other because I'm a very carefree person. And he's not. (laughs) And so um, I started, I think we both kind of learned from each other. I learned a lot, his, how his work ethic pays off. Maybe I don't work to that caliber, but I would say from learning from the three of you, in my opinion, maybe I wasn't the top student at App Academy, but I was the hardest worker for sure Mm -hmm. at App Academy. And the hardest networker. And because of that, I know some people who are probably some of the best people in my cohort who are just doing like contract to hire roles for three months. And because of the hard work and networking that I was able to do, I was able to get a great full-time offer that not a lot of people could do. But if they worked hard in that regard, they could too. What do you think is the um, the biggest thing that I've learned from you since you've been here, since we have been around from each other that like other people can learn from? The biggest thing that I've learned from from you. <laughs> I don't know. I have to think about that. Yeah. Let me ask Ruben a question. So what was it like having your brother live with you and go through this uh, experience? Pretty much a transformation from someone who didn't know how to code to someone who just got her job offer a week ago. I think it's something I've always wanted to do just because we're not always close together. So mm-hmm. I'm like super, super hard on him. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In some ways, I felt like he was kind of my dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because we have a big age difference too mm-hmm. but yeah I mean sometimes it'll be hard when you know sometimes you would see me watching something and they'd be like why aren't you working harder and I was like well I just did algorithms for two hours or something he's like well I've been he- up since 5am so there's no excuses you know <laughs> yeah like I like I, I'm very disciplined so like when I see him not going hard it frustrates me a lot mm-hmm. and he does work harder than a lot of his colleagues, but I feel like legacy is super important. So he's up next. So we got to. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I know that all of you are like that because at the end of the day, you guys care about us and you want us mm-hmm. to succeed. So when I didn't realize that, sometimes I would be really frustrated and be like, man, these guys are super annoying. I just want to <laughs> do whatever I want. But then as time went on, I was like, dang, 
I just started listening to them and yeah. then it worked out. And now I, mean, I guess I, the reason I asked the original question was just because like something that I do admire about him is like, no matter what I say, he'll like listen to it, but you still make your own decision. You have your own plan, that's which true. is cool because like you trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important no matter who it is. And so it's very hard for people to like filter information, especially even if you're surrounded by great people that are all good mentors that are telling you a bunch of different things, you still got to be able to trust your gut. You've always been good at that. Yeah. Thanks, bro. And now that you're on the other side, you've broken in into tech and you made a lot of sacrifices to get here. Can you kind of describe uh, if it was worth it, what you've learned? And if you had to give advice to someone else who is getting on this journey, like what would it be? It's definitely worth it because... I finally found purpose in life. Like I told you all back, I know that this is what I want to do and I will be able to solve problems like I've always Mm -hmm. wanted to do to help people. So it's definitely worth it for me. If I were to give advice to someone, I would say, don't let your background determine what you can and can't do. A lot of times people think that because they don't have any experience, they can't possibly get a job in software engineering and just, uh, just start somewhere When I was going through the job search and I was feeling that way, I would just tell myself, let's celebrate the small victories. You know, I taught myself how to code. I almost got kicked out of App Academy (laughs) and I made it from 73 people to 49. Mm -hmm. I made projects that I can show people. Mm -hmm. I have had interviews from people who are CS grads and I've still been able to compete with them. And so kind of reminding yourself of the accomplishments when you're going through the struggle I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. There's something else I was going to say, but I forgot. How, how did um, comic books and like oh, Avengers movies yes, play into Yes, that's what I, exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> I remember, you know, when before I started, the hardest part was getting interviews before I started emailing and networking and all that. And then once I started doing that, the hardest part was passing interviews. Because I guess in terms of advice, it's really hard to prepare for any technical interview because some people will be like, know all this trivia. Some people will be like, do algorithms. Some people will say, build things. That's why I recommend Glassdoor because it kind of narrows that vision. But when I would fail and feel like I was defeated, I remember I was watching uh, an episode of my favorite show that's called Avatar, The Last Airbender. And one line that this guy said that really stuck out to me was, failure is the opportunity to learn again, only this time more wisely. Mm. And so every time I would fail, I started thinking about, Let's not think about how badly I did. Let's think about what I can learn to crush the next interview. Yeah. And that started happening. As and I that's the growth mindset. I like it. Perfect. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. But just for a listener who's just tuning in, this is where David will share strategies, resources, and um, different tactics that you can use to get to where he is today. So with that said, take it away. Yeah, so this question takes us back to the basics. If you like like you did before, but imagine you just moved to a new city, you don't know anyone, you only have a hundred dollars. What would you do and how would you break in? I was literally thinking of this question before we started. <laughs> <laughs> what I would do is probably do what my friend Adrian did. I would save that hundred dollars and then start probably find assuming I the city would be San Francisco, which mm-hmm. is one of the most expensive places. Before I would try to get into any boot camp or anything, assuming I didn't have any money. And then I would probably start doing like some delivery to make enough money to pay for rent. And then after some time when 
I'm sustainable, mm-hmm. then I would start looking into different resources to learn how to code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So something else that we, we tend to do whenever we're not working is watch Avengers movies. So for the people that don't know, um, can you kind of explain why we do that and like what philosophy lessons you've learned from your favorite superhero? Hmm. Yeah, well, one thing that's really cool, at least in the latest Avenger movies that have been coming out, is they start showing the superheroes more as actual human beings. One of the ones that really sticks out to me is Spider-Man Homecoming, because that's one of the few Spider-Man movies where he's actually portrayed as a teenager who's still trying to figure out life. I think one of the most interesting things in that movie, too, stuck out to me was when he was stuck on like this giant building and um, he felt like he wasn't going to be able to save the people in his, in, that were trapped in the elevator basically. And what, but when he realized that everybody was depending on him, he needed to at least try because trying is better than not trying and then never accomplishing anything. Yeah. So I guess learning from the struggles and seeing at least making an effort one of the other things I always think about is if you never try, the answer will always be no. Mm-hmm. But if you always try, there's a possibility of yes. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. So um, this question, it's um, it's a bit of a doozy. So if you had to send out a tweet and everyone in the world would see it, what message would you want to craft? Related to this? Or related to anything. If you know that your this message will be, get seen by everyone on earth. Last tweet before you die. <laughs> Go big or go home. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Not what? let's break in. <laughs> let's break in. That's <laughs> good. What music do you listen to when you're programming? <laughs> I really like lo-fi hip-hop. That's probably one of my favorite music genres. It's really chill, and uh, it's really n- easy to not be distracted by that music itself and kind of hone in on what you're doing. So I like that. I listen to a lot of solo guitar music, but that's partly because I am a guitarist. I like this guy named Emancipator. He's pretty cool. So usually, generally, I listen to music that doesn't have words in them because it can, if I'm listening to a song with words, I want to know what the song is about and then it'll kind of distract me from what I'm working on. So I usually like instrumental mm-hmm. stuff. Nice. Yeah. Got it. When it comes to resources that you can share with our listeners, so you mentioned Treehouse, Lead Code. What are some resources that can help our listeners get started to code? Treehouse is definitely one of my th- highest recommendations. It is paid, but I did hear that if you have a library card, you can get it for free mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So Treehouse is good. Free Code Camp is really good. I think you guys interviewed him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Code Academy. Mm-hmm. And for people, it sounds like you did a little bit of Free Code Camp. How would you compare that experience to actually going to a boot camp like App Academy? Mm, Do you I, feel like Free Code Camp would have been enough? So I think Free Code Camp would have been enough, but I didn't have the patience to like go through probably what would have taken me a year through doing that. Mm. I think it's hard for me to be motivated to keep going through something if I don't have like pressure. Mm. That's something that's I think is really interesting about me. Like I hate pressure, mm. but it, it forces me to work hard. So in a way I do like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I didn't have any pressure, like if I were just in Atlanta, for example, going through Free Code Camp, I was like, well, let me do this for an hour a day or something. I'd never be at the rate I'm at. Yeah, it would have taken you a couple of years to get there. So in that regard, I think bootcamp success is totally possible. I mean, Jordan did free code camp and look at where he is Mm. at Twitter. So I think it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, But for me, I think bootcamps was the way to go. 
how did mom and dad help you during this process? They would call me at least every other day. So uh, when I moved here, it was nice to, even though I wasn't home, didn't really feel like I was so far away having them call all the time. The other thing that was really cool was that I had a lot of friends who were computer science majors from college and we go on Discord a lot. And so I would just send messages to them. So it kind of felt like I was still connected to everybody in my life, even mm-hmm. though I'm here. That's so that awesome. was cool. Yeah. Cool. Oh, and I also want to mention another really good resource was um, Michael Hartle tutorial. So oh, for yeah. people who are specifically trying to get into App Academy and want to learn Ruby on Rails, I didn't do this because <laughs> it was a bad decision on my part and I should have listened to Timor. But you should definitely <laughs> do that entire tutorial like multiple times. Before be- you start App before, Academy. Before you start App Academy because it'll make that so much easier to deal with when you get to learning mm-hmm. about Ruby on Rails. For That's sure. my advice. Yeah. yeah. So now that you're on the inside and since you talked about sending out all these emails to people who are in tech, you're probably going to get a lot of people hitting you up now. What is the best way for them to reach out to you? You can email me. It's uh, my full name, David, spelled like David. So David Gabriel Harris mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you want to email me and ask me for my number, I can give you that, but just email me first. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, Perfect. Man. Well, we really enjoyed uh, staying with you along the whole journey, seeing uh, how you started with Treehouse, went through Jumpstart, did App Academy, did the jump search, and we're just super excited to see what happens to your journey in the next year or two. So keep us up to date and uh, let's break in. Let's break in. Let's break in. Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.